love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I'm getting ready to uh, start the recording session, and it's kind of a ritual of mine. I'll go around and I'll shut off all the fans and the AC. turn off the AC, yeah. right? So it doesn't click on in the middle of uh, our recording. Uh, and, and you said, would you mind feeding the dogs? So I said, yeah, sure. So I go over and I pick up their bowls and uh, there's a little bit of leftover crud in one of the bowls. So I go to empty it in the trash can, but there are no plastic bags in the trash can. Right. Because so I, I had to wash the trash can. So I went to get a, a plastic bag and there were no plastic bags. So I had to go to the supply closet and I found an unopened box and I brought them back and I opened it and I put the plastic bag in. The garbage bag? Yeah. In, into the uh, trash can. And then I scraped out the bowls and then I washed them and then. I fed them and uh, I then I forgot totally what I was going to do before that. I got so distracted. So if the if the AC kicks on, that's why. <laughs> also, you might hear Haggis whining a little bit because he blew out his ass. Oh, yeah. That poor kid. You know, he, he's just got some real butt issues that we're working through right now. Um, and so he might be whining a little bit, and we're sorry. He is on pain meds. Also, our, our neighbor is watching a comedy movie, I guess, and you might hear him laughing. <laughs> you, can't, you won't be able to hear Eddie. He's fine. Eddie's a good guy. How are you feeling, by the way? I'm feeling fine. You went through a rough patch there. Well, I had the booster, Yeah. you know, the Moderna booster, and uh, the next day I felt like... Uh, <laughs> How did you put it? You'd been struck, not by a truck, but a... Four-door touring sedan. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> even this, you're feeling so terrible, and you were just, like, in bed all day, and you're still, like, coming up with these. <laughs> I don't know. You're it, just, you're a funny guy. It, I just, I like you a lot. Oh, thanks. I like you, too. It really wasn't that bad. It just really achy, and uh, I just... Didn't want to do anything. Yeah, I don't blame you. So there's a stretch of promenade between the South and North Piers in Blackpool, England. Promenade. It's referred to as the Golden Mile. It was late in the 19th century 
when small-time carnival operators and amusement ride owners and fortune tellers and penny arcade operators, oyster bars, they started popping up in the gardens in the front of boarding houses along the stretch. Mm -hmm. And the the reason why was it it was an extremely busy area because it led to the Blackpool Central uh, Railway Station, which is no longer there. But the locals decided to take advantage of all the foot traffic and put little shops and amusements in their front gardens. Oh, okay, nice. Smart. Slot machines started popping up. Lots and lots of slot machines. They'd come to uh, saturate the area, and that's how it got its nickname, the Golden Mile. It's actually a little more than a mile. It's about a mile and a half. It's home to Coral Island and the Funland Amusement Arcades today. It's also hosted the official Doctor Who exposition until November of 2009. Oh, wow. Over the decades, it's changed and evolved But in the early 20th century, it was mostly a bizarre world of sideshows. There were many different acts that were exhibited and performed in the sideshows and the freak shows, as they called them Mm -hmm. back in the day, along the Golden Mile. But in the first half of the 1930s, one act in particular, well, exposition more than an act, dominated the promenade. They were known as the Starving Brides of Blackpool. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. During the heyday, they were all that people could talk about. It really became a mania, a craze, a a bit of a frenzy. They became so popular that pretty much every seaside resort at one point or another in the 30s had some variation of this exhibit. It was a Starving Bride mania? Yes. But out of all the shows... It was the Starving Brides of Blackpool that made the biggest mark on the British psyche at the time. They were mostly young ladies, uh, mostly brides, either brides-to-be and some newlyweds. Now, they were given a proposition by a promoter. They were offered large sums of cash to give up eating for several days or even weeks. And then they'd be exhibited while they were fasting in in a glass case along the promenade. This, of course, was for the pleasure and fascination of the crowds that gathered to watch. But fasting and exhibiting fasters uh, really goes back to just before World War I. It became a bit of a competition. This makes me very uncomfortable. Today we have competitive eating. Back then they had competitive fasting. Uh, The first record was set by an American, 40 days. And then an Italian took the record to 45 days. A Swiss man, 48. And then an Austrian took the record with 60 days. Now, we don't know for sure how closely these people were monitored. And probably some of this was a fraud. Oh, yeah. But many were not. In the summer of 1929, a small amusement arcade on Church Street in Blackpool became the hotbed for a renaissance of exhibiting fasters. A promoter whose name was Luke Gannon was pulling in huge crowds in the back of the premises behind tall screens. Visitors would uh, come in, they'd pay their money, they would be led to the rear of the arcade, and there they found a glass case. In the glass case contained a man who looked pale and painfully thin. His His name was Ricardo Sacco. Mr. Sacco had been a farmer and a baker in his earlier days, but uh, at one point got hooked into this competitive fasting thing. He referred to himself now as a professional fasting man. How do, I mean, what's the... 
this, first of all, so dangerous and gross. And like how, I mean, basically they were being paid to be anorexic. It was looked at as a feat of endurance. That's terrible. Ricardo Sacco made it 65 days before he threw in the towel. He said, I can't go anymore. And there's another guy who was kind of racing him, if you will, I guess. He lasted 67 days. But Ricardo lasted 65. And uh, then he went home. And died? Three weeks later. Yes. Yeah, he died. It was heart failure due to of course. malnutrition. A couple of years after this tragedy in Blackpool, Luke Gannon, the promoter, thought it'd be a good idea to bring this stunt back, but this time with young girls. Oh, this makes me so uncomfortable. The first starving bride of Blackpool likely was a young lady named Joyce Heather. It was the summer of 1931. She was promised by Gannon 200 pounds if... She would uh, forego eating and sit in a barrel with a glass top on it for 10 days. Sit in a barrel with a glass top on it for 10 days. Yeah. Like, could she get out to use the facilities and uh, such? Did un- she get to shower? Unclear. I'm, I don't think so. Okay. But Joyce, unlike Mr. Sokka, was an amateur. Her goal was the 10 days. She made it to nine and then gave up. One day to go to get her 200 pounds and she Ooh. gave up. There was some widespread public suspicion. And according to reports of the day, that suspicion became, it quickly turned to anger and an angry mob tipped the barrel over and rolled it into the ocean. But being the sort of man that uh, Gannon was, he never said die, at least not for himself. He was back the following year with a new woman named Nellie Hayes and also a defrocked vicar named Harold Davidson. So he had two of them going at once. So these are people who are desperate for money. Yes. Who he is paying to starve themselves. Right. And he would prey on young women, especially, or newlyweds, because they needed cash. They were just starting out as a married couple. In Harold Davidson's case, he had been a vicar and had been defrocked, and he wished to protest the Church of England by doing this, and in the process, raise money to mount a legal challenge against his defrocking. So they were both put in barrels and exhibited, but this time at Luke Gannon's house on Central Beach in a location where the Funland Arcade now stands. And this caused quite a stir. And then newlyweds started flocking to the promoter, begging to be part of this. Ew, it's just so gross. And it really, it's not too different than what we do to models, you know, these uh, days. Interesting. You know, there's these young women who want to break into the industry. And over and over again, they're told, like, you're too fat, you're too fat, you're too fat, too fat. And it's they feel like they have to essentially put themselves in a barrel with a glass top for nine days in order to make it. Different premise, but uh, same result. Yeah. There was a promotional bill that said, quote, Brides and bridegrooms straight from the altar, starve for 30 days. What courage? Will they do it? Why? Why? Like, what's... Okay, is the draw that they are super gaunt? I'm sorry, am I getting worked up? 
I'm sorry. Is it is it that they're like gaunt and skinny and it's interesting to see their bodies, you know, yeah. destroyed this way? Or th- is it just that they've done it for so long? It's like, wow, look at that. They're in the it's midst of this gotta event. Be, gotta be both. But I think without question, the underlying draw or attraction is morbid fascination. Ugh. You're watching people that are slowly dying. And the reason they did this was because he offered 250 pounds, which is about 18,000 pounds in today's money. Hey, Hey, Siri. Siri. (laughs) How much is 18,000 pounds in U.S.? 18,000 British pounds is $24,160.10. So you can see why these people were lining up to do it. But your your heart, though. Yeah. Your heart and your your hair is going to fall out. Your teeth are going to fall. I mean... So several of them were exhibited at once. They were placed in glass cases, separated from each other, both the bride and the groom, but all the attention seemed to go to the bride. That's what they marketed, the Mm. starving brides, even though there were some grooms there. They would wear a white wedding gown, and they referred to her glass case as a coffin. Sure. A woman named Barbara McDonald took up the challenge and went on display. She had been married for just two hours. And to emphasize this point, they put her three-tiered wedding cake right outside the case, which I'm thinking she's in there starving and you're putting fresh, delicious pastry within. That's just taunting. Well, that's what I was thinking about that guy who used to be a baker. And it's like, I'm were you like, were you not tempted by your own craft? (laughs) Speaking of which, I'm going to make some bread today and I'm super excited about it. I'm thinking like garlic basil. Okay, please continue reading your story. I won't interrupt again. No, I love it when you interrupt. It's fine. Mrs. McDonald told a reporter, quote, it'll be a constant reminder of what depends on my success. That must have been torture. After like seven, eight days, no food, and there's this delicious cake right outside your glass coffin. Yeah, your dress could be a reminder. Though after nine days, maybe you're going to eat that. I don't know. (laughs) Well, it's high in fiber. So Gannon's show became a craze, a mania. And of course, that just encouraged other promoters to do it. There were two others in the area, one at the arcade called the White House and the other at the Trocadero. And uh, so there were three newlywed brides in glass cases. The beautiful, bold, colorful sign outside of one said, quote, the lovely bride lies here starving. The pluckiest girl in the world now lies in a coffin. People lined up to see it. Did anyone try to feed her? I'm sure they did. And a lot of people commented on that. They, they would put up blackboards outside of the arcades where they would, uh, the owners would go out and write urgent bulletins on them and chalk like, quote, starving bride sinking fast. They also posted, they, they put bouncers outside the doors who would yell at passersby. Uh, things like, hey, don't waste your chance. She might be gone tomorrow. Ew. And if you did take them up on it, you'd pay two pence, and then you would be taken behind a curtain into a darkened room. The coffins were just under eight feet long, three feet wide, and about four feet high, and they had a glass top that you could look down and see the starving bride inside. Now, the bride would be lying down, and besides an occasional twitch of the face or a blink of an eye uh, behind her veil, they, they would barely move for obvious reasons. The shows grew tremendously over the summer in popularity. A newspaper article quoted one of the bouncers saying, quote, 
You would be flabbergasted if you came here on the weekend. On Saturday and Sunday, we have queues of people waiting to come in. So the reporter went in, he commented on uh, what he saw in line. He said he he saw a man in a well-cut suit wearing a monocle and carrying a leather briefcase. Also, two girls who were giggling and laughing. And a woman from Lancashire nodded toward the bride and said, quote, I'd rather pay two pence to see her fed. Right. She had the right idea. Now, clearly not everybody was a big fan of these starving bride exhibits. Uh, the weekly magazine, John Bull, called them, quote, blatant and idiotic vulgarity. Yeah. Another vicar who was still frocked uh, sent a message to his home office describing what he called a nauseating spectacle. This started to anger local council members. But it was a combination of these things going on. It wasn't just, it was, it was the golden mile, but it wasn't just the starving brides exhibit, but it was also the endless nonstop piano playing because <laughs> marathon piano playing had also become a craze at the same time. Oh, okay. So you had like these starving young women in glass coffins and then people who would not shut the fuck up by playing piano 24 seven. In April of 1935, there was an arcade on Central Beach, and a guy calling himself Syncopating Sandy set a record with over 122 hours of nonstop piano playing. He never got up for 122 hours. And again, I don't know how he managed to go to the bathroom. I'm sure he devised some sort of system involving tubes and a pail. But he did talk about, or they did in the article, they talked about how he washed himself. He would continue playing with one hand while he washed himself up every day. Maud Collins had set a record for nonstop piano playing for women, 50 hours. With all the crowds, the starving brides, and the piano playing, <laughs> it drew crowds 24 hours a day, nonstop. There was a guy named Mr. Fryer, whose house on Barney Street backed up against the arcades. He had had enough. Quote, the piano playing has been going on at night for about two weeks. It's been impossible for me to get any sleep. I have been on the promenade at four o'clock in the morning. So at a conference in Blackpool in October, one politician not only denounced the nonstop piano playing, Mm. but described the starving bride exhibit as, quote, perfectly horrid, unchristian and beastly. I would agree. So the following day, Town Hall held a meeting. The magistrate's chief constable made a tour of the arcades, informing them that they must close. Two of them did, but not Luke Gannon. He said they had no power to shut him down. It was on his own property. He said that his subjects had been examined by a doctor. They'd been given a drink of milk. Quote, they'll remain there for nine more days, competing or completing rather the 30 days. And at the end, I will give them the 250 pounds. I will give it to them even if it skins me. So when he failed to close up his shop, others opened theirs back up again. Sure. But they found a bit of a loophole. The starving brides at their arcades uh, had thrown the towel in once things closed down. So they promoted it that the bride was too ill to be taken from her glass case. But you could pay to come in and watch her eat eggs and brandy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In 1934, authorities were granted power by a special act of parliament. Now they could insist that all showmen get a license uh, it also gave them the, the power to ban any sideshow they didn't like. Mm-hmm. In addition, it allowed them to, to control the ice cream industry and holiday camps. Oh. I'm not sure why. Okay. 
Starving brides in piano marathons were now a thing of the past, but Luke Gannon didn't stop. He sent an urgent cable to the Empress of Abyssinia. Now, she had just finished a uh, political fast to protest Italy's invasion of her country. Okay. He invited her to repeat that feat in Blackpool to, quote, avert the calamity of world war. And he said if she wanted to, he could use his arcade on Central Beach for that purpose. It's mm-hmm. pretty nice of him to yeah. offer that. Yeah. He'd be more than happy to make it uh, available to her. She declined the offer. <laughs> and that was the end of the starving brides of Blackpool and marathon piano playing. Wow. For, for that matter. My sources of information, the Blackpool Gazette, the Guardian, and Wikipedia, there were lots of crazy crazes back then. Flagpole sitting, mm-hmm. phone booth stuffing uh, in the 50s. I know you you'll, you hate this idea. Swallowing goldfish yeah. was a big, a big craze. It's annoying. Why do people do stupid things? I don't know. Money? Fame? Sure. I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Starving Brides of Blackpool. Well, that was upsetting. You're welcome. And now, that thing in the middle. Back in the 60s, a merchant marine named John Chicky Donahue found himself in a port right outside of Vietnam. He had heard that three of his buddies had enlisted back home and were somewhere in the war zone. So to show support to his friends, he snuck into the war zone to find them. Why? to bring them several cases of beer that he smuggled in. It's known as the greatest beer run ever. And there's a documentary that's been made about it. If you played this podcast backward and at twice the speed, it would sound like crap. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, 
and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Pete from Australia sent us an email. Hey guys, just listen to the Tree Kangaroo episode. Mm. Great as always. Uh, thought you might find this interesting. Did you know kangaroos don't fart? No. Weird as you would think with all that bouncing around, you'd be farting more than bingo night at an old person's home. <laughs> Scientists have identified an enzyme in the kangaroo's gut that is the reason for the lack of bottom burps. Uh, they're investigating putting the enzyme into cows to reduce the impact of global warming that cattle has mm. with their massive releases of methane through farting. Just a freaky fact for you how Aussies are helping the world one less fart at a time. Stay freaky. Keep up the good work. Freaky Pete from Down Under. Thanks, Freaky Pete. I love it. If you are, in fact, a real person and not just an actor... Right. Because we all know that Australia... Australia is not real. Not real. Do you have a story for me, my love? I do. Would you mind sharing it with me now? Thomas Hogg was a servant from New Haven Colony, and he was not well-liked in the community. It's the winter of 1645, and he was awaiting trial for theft, dishonesty, and indecent exposure. Oh, so he was known to tootle about town with his bits showing through his breeches. 
Now, it turns out he actually had a pretty painful inguinal hernia. I think that's how you pronounce it, which he described as it being his belly was broke, uh, according Mm -hmm. to the records of the colony and plantation of New Haven. So he wore a steel truss to keep his hernia in check. And the truss would often tear holes in the crotch of his pants, leading to sometimes his meat and two veg being on display. My goodness. However, it seemed that when this took place, he wasn't fast to repair the situation, (laughs) or sometimes he just didn't notice, or he just acted like it wasn't a big deal. But I suppose after it happening over and over again, you've got to be like, well, what, you know, I... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And sometimes I think it was just the hernia that people were seeing and not the bits. Maybe wear the truss on the outside, you know, because if it does tear your pants, then at least you're still covered with the truss. I don't know if it would work that way, but it's a it's a good suggestion. Uh, Many of the people in this community, though, were not into Thomas Hogg. They were very (laughs) off put by his genital peakery and his general existence right off put by his genital peakery so one day this winter the wife of a prominent sea captain in new haven went out to her property to check on her pigs one of her sows was pregnant and she wanted to to see how she was doing and it turns out that this sow had given birth but not to uh, regular little cute little piglets, right? Instead to, quote, two monsters. One had fair white skin, and the other had a head like a child's and a protuberant right eye. Now, the sea captain's wife was very upset, and the town council was summoned. And before long, everyone came to the conclusion that the malformed piglets looked just like Thomas Hogg. Well, his name was Hogg. Right. Hmm. So obviously. Is that where we got the term hog? I don't think so. (laughs) At this time in New England, there was some frenzy about bestiality. Okay. Well, understandable, but it's quite a leap to like say, yeah, there's a guy with a hernia and his soft dangly parts hanging out Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, Doing it with a sow. Yeah. Um, Now, keep in mind that Thomas also probably suffered from Graves' disease. So he did have eyes that protruded a little bit from his sockets. And so he wasn't, you know, a fine looking fellow. He was all all messed up. He was just not doing great as far as the gene pool goes. Mm. Um, And the town people just didn't like him. Now, as I said, in New England at this time, people were kind it was like, it was kind of like the Salem witch trials, but with bestiality. Okay. Now, I want to make clear, there are a few things that anger me more than bestiality. Mm. I, at no point during this story, am making light of it or saying it's not a big deal or anything like that, because honestly, I cannot think of anything worse. Nope, that's not true, but I can't think (laughs) of many things that are worse. There were so many cases of accusations in this surrounding area, actually, that the magistrate justified it by saying, "Okay, well, yeah, we all came from England and it's not that we have uh, more people, quote unquote, buggering animals in New England than we did in England. But we're much more uh, fervent in cracking down on it. So it's not that we are you know, just randomly accusing people in the town of doing this or that there are more people doing this. It's just that we're we're better about finding out about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So Puritan investigators would, they had this interesting way of determining what went on in a situation by forcing defendants of uh, murder, uh, sometimes rape, bestiality, etc., to confront their victims if possible. They were hoping that a reenactment of the crimes might catalyze a confession. So they brought Thomas to the pig farm and ordered him to scratch the sow under the ear, at which point, mm -hmm, at which point the investigators determined that there appeared to be the working of lust in the sow. Oh, my. So they're able to somehow sense whether that made the pig horny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he was then ordered to scratch another sow who didn't seem interested. And so that obviously was clear evidence that one sow had been uh -huh. um, right. approached by Thomas Hogg and the other had not. So at this point, Thomas Hogg admitted, yeah, this looks bad. <laughs> Just bananas. Uh, but he remained defiant and he said, I have never had to dough with either sow. Now, I, I'm not familiar with this kind of language. I assume that means I did not right, ha right. have a, my way. With, okay. Of course, no one had witnessed him with the sea captain's wife's pig, or any pig for that matter. But it was super frustrating for the investigators because they really wanted to hang this guy. <laughs> so instead, he was convicted of lying and stealing, and he was sentenced to a severe whipping and hard labor lying about what oh something else okay as i said he was not popular among the town folk but hog got off easy please excuse my phrasing <laughs> george spencer did not five years before the hog trial george spencer lived also in new haven colony and was referred to as a habitual troublemaker spencer also suffered from physical impairments. He was described by his neighbors as very ugly. He was balding and he wore a glass eye. Worst of all, he was openly not a man of faith. Okay. All right. Well, I can see, you know, the glass eye and uh, not a man of faith thing being translated in those days into a constant troublemaker. So you can, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can see how obviously when a sow gave birth to a malformed piglet, all eyes were cast to George Spencer. Quote, the monster was come to the full growth as other pigs, but brought forth dead. It had no hair on its whole body. The skin was very tender and of white color, like a child's. The head was most strange. It had one eye. Okay. So naturally, Spencer was arrested. Well, of course. And the Puritan authorities believed that this, this one-eyed piglet was irrefutable evidence that an act of bestiality had taken place. And Spencer was told, if he that confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall find mercy. But it wasn't made clear to him whether that mercy came from the court or if mercy came from God. I so, want it in writing. Yeah, well, Spell it out. Right. You know clarify, por favor. Never trust a 17th century plea bargain. Well, George Spencer did. And on the realization that it might lead to a death sentence if he didn't confess, he did confess to fathering these malformed piglets. Good God. But then, 
of course, everyone got all jacked up about the situation and were very jazzed about killing him. So then he was like, oh, wait, so you didn't mean that the mercy would come from the court. I will still be subjected to the death penalty. So he retracted his statement because obviously he was not the father of these piglets. That's not how it works. So throughout the case being investigated, he confessed and retracted his statements several times based on what the people were telling him would keep him from being murdered, basically. Now, at this time, the courts needed two witnesses to a crime in order to proceed. But like I said, George Spencer was not popular amongst the town folk and, again, didn't believe in God. So they used one of his retracted confessions as a witness. What? How? The second witness was the stillborn piglet. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, we've got everything we need right here. Mm-hmm. The court was abundantly satisfied of Spencer's guilt and the correctness of his sentence. So it was ordered that Spencer should be hanged. Wow. Not before, though. The sow that gave birth to those mutant piglets uh, was stabbed with a sword. The pig was to be slain, and then he's to be hanged. And that sentence was carried out on April 8, 1642. And Spencer's death was very early in the history of Connecticut and reported to be only the second execution to take place. Good God. While researching just these two stories, I came across several other stories of exactly this thing. It was said that so-and-so, you know, did it with a turkey. And so let's kill him. And it happened all over New England for a period of time where they were just real jazzed about murdering people for the accusation of this kind of business. And often people would be charged with the suspicion of something. And and could you be executed if found guilty of being suspected to do something? If they could find witnesses, and or, as we've seen here, that doesn't mean anything. A dead pig right. will do it. Wow. Holy shit. Nowadays, you can just buy your way out of anything. Not if you're poor and unattractive, though. <laughs> That's true. Silly me. So that is, uh, I don't even know what to call that, the the trial of thomas hogg or the murder of george spencer or the bestiality frenzy of new england i'm not sure make up your own episode title either way it's awful i got my information from the all.com of course wikipedia alphahistory.com and slate.com oh real quick uh do you have the names of our most recent patrons I do. Alexandra, who, by the way, uh, the uh, profile picture on Patreon is of a manatee, and I I love it dearly. Uh, Andrea, Kathy, and Letitia. And just so you know, uh, the Live in New York video is available now for you patrons. Hopefully you'll enjoy it, but we make no promises. Fingers crossed, though. If you're not a patron and you want to become one, just go to theboxofoddities.com and click on the support the show link. And please tell your freaky friends about The Box of Oddities, available on all major podcasting platforms, including Amazon Music. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, 
the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.